RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, we're here in Lawfather headquarters uh, in our Lawfather studio within headquarters here. Uh, those of you following along on Instagram Live can check out the new setup that we have. And those of you who are uh, watching this video later on, I hope you like the new little setup, changing it up a little bit and uh, trying to give you guys a little bit better view of everything. All right. Uh, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on all of our social media avenues, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Yep, that's right. We are doing uh, some things on TikTok. And uh, so be sure to check us out there. Looking at bringing some kind of fresh new content to things, uh, both on Instagram and TikTok. So just trying to liven it up a little bit. Hopefully providing some good things for you all. A uh, little bit of entertainment, a little bit of fun. Uh, you know, lawyers tend to be uh, known for being kind of stiff and boring and uh, really trying to, to buck that trend and do some fun things. Okay. Uh, that's the, the purpose of the show. Yes. We dive into really kind of some important and heavy topics sometimes. And then sometimes like last week we jump into uh, some more fun type topics. Uh, today we're going to kind of get in that middle ground, right? Uh, not necessarily a lot of fun per se, but I, I think it's an important thing. It's something that I get asked a lot. Uh, looking to head, looking ahead to next week, uh, it's a topic that I, I mentioned to Jason about wanting to do, and uh, we're just going to do it. And I've been waiting to try to set up a guest to do it. Uh, I'm going to invite that guest this week. But whether or not they are available for the show, uh, we're going to dive into this topic next week, which is Florida's Stand Your Ground law. And I know that there's a representative right now in Florida that is trying to change the Stand Your Ground law and uh, take away some of the protections that it offers. And just the, the brief overview of it, just so you can kind of get ready for next week, is it is a self-defense mechanism for criminal law, okay? Uh, basically, it says that you don't have to move, you don't have to retreat if you're defending yourself or you're defending someone else, okay? That's all I'm going to get onto it this week. You're going to have to listen next week in order to get a feel for that, but I would like to have that representative on the show and discuss that because we have... Really uh, opposite end of the spectrum views on, on the topic, okay? Uh, having been an attorney who has actually argued stand your ground motions, uh, I think it, it gives a little bit of a unique insight. So that'll be next week. Uh, as to this week, what we're going to do, and we're going to have a, a pretty concise show this morning. Uh, just so you know, I, I actually do practice law and not just do the podcast and do Tip Tuesdays and Fact Fridays and kind of everything in between. Uh, I do have a hearing this morning uh, at 9 a.m., so uh, I know we're going to be kind of really crunched for time, but that's really typical of how the days go as an attorney, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, kind of look at briefly. Uh, I know that there, there may be this perception out there that, you know, once you get to the point of owning a law firm and you know, being successful, if you will, and, and being an attorney that you leave the office at 3 p.m. and that you take Fridays off and any other day in between. And, and I'll tell you what, that's not how it is here. That's not how we do things. Uh, very, very, very involved in every part of what goes on in this office, involved in literally every case that comes through the door. Okay. So, you know, if you come and you visit the law father, 
you're going to get the law father's opinion on your case all day, every day. Okay. Everything that you see come through, I may not handle the nitty gritty details of every single case on a day-to-day basis, but I know everything that's going on with every case on a day-to-day basis. And I am also following the trends of what's going on with the insurance companies. And well, we're not having jury trials right now, but as jury trials were going on, I would pour through jury verdicts, right? So one of the things that you may not know and realize is there's a database of jury verdicts. And sometimes those include settlements as well. So I can look up and say, I have a car crash and herniations from that car crash. Uh, What are the juries doing? Right. And it's a really powerful tool and it's something that we use. So what I want to get into today, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more detail, but one of the things I want to get into today and, and make the show about, if you will, is what's your case worth, right? That's probably the number one question I get on a, almost an everyday basis. I have people who reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram. They call the office. They send me an email. And the first question is, well, the first question is, do I have a case, right? And then question number two is, well, how much is my case worth? And it's a really difficult question to answer on day one. Right. And all the people say, well, my friend, my friend got a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So, and and they just had a little fender bender and and my car was totaled. So clearly I should get a hundred thousand dollars for my case. And I, I, I have to remind these people that number one, right. Every case is different. Our cases are really, really fact specific. Right. And it, it's kind of a legal term, if you will. I know it's not uh, fact specific is not necessarily what you would consider legalese per se, but I'll tell you what, you know, we deal with whether it's a fact specific issue or whether it's an issue of law all the time. Like that's, that's a lot of times when we're dealing with motions and appeals and things like that. That's what we're looking at. Right. And in most personal injury cases, right. Especially car crash cases, especially car crash cases, we're dealing with issues that are so fact specific, what happened in that particular instance, right? That we're always dealing with what's called a jury question. Okay. And now what happens is, is if there's a, if there's a legal question, if there's a question of law with a case, right? A judge can make a determination and a judge can make that case go away. But if we're dealing with purely issues of fact, which primarily in a car crash case, that's what we're dealing with. The only person, the only people that can make the determination of whether or not you have a case is a jury. Okay. So that's how, that's how I look at things from the moment that case walks in, from the moment I have that conversation with the client, with that prospective client is how does this play to a jury? That is my beginning, middle, and end, right? And that plays into whether, hey, do we just deal with the insurance company or do we get into litigation, right? Because you know, if we have circumstances that say, man, we are going to get roasted by a jury, right? And the reality is you only know that if you've tried cases. And, and I think I mentioned this on a, um, on a previous Fact Friday, but not every lawyer out here tries cases. Okay. I know three or four off the top of my head that don't try cases, right? 
Some of them refer them out to firms that try cases. Some of them just resolve everything. And if the client doesn't like it, tells them to beat feet and find another attorney. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't really subscribe to that. I've tried cases in the past when courts open up again in order in terms of trials. Okay. Courts are technically still open. As I mentioned, I have a hearing today, which is by zoom. So I'm going to walk right from the law father studios over to the law father's office and fire up zoom and off we go. Okay. But if you don't try cases, the insurance companies know that, right? And the insurance companies, not the individual, okay? It's really very important. And the insurance companies will, will try to make it so that you don't realize this. And the Florida Rules of Civil Procedure, what is what we fi- follow in trials, okay, will not let you know this also. That even though you have an individual who's a defendant sitting at that table, it's the insurance company pulling the strings, Okay. That individual doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of say in whether or not the insurance company settles or forces you to trial. Okay. The insurance company is pretty much the one deciding how much money they pay and when they pay it and how they pay it. Okay. Unless they get told to buy a jury. All right. So those are all the kind of factors that we look into. And I don't know if you heard, heard that ding, apparently, uh, being on Facebook live, my phone will still ding. So there you go. Um, and the day has started with, uh, the, the flurry of text messages and calls from clients. But anyway, um, you know, and, and that's, that's an enjoyable part of the day, right? As we get into what the values look like and everything else, you the ability to talk to the amount of people that I get to talk to on a daily basis. That's probably the best part of the day. Okay. It just, it really is. Uh, I, I love talking to people about their cases and getting into what I'm going to get into today. And I know we, we've had a little bit of a long pre- precursor to get there, right? You all that are listening want to know, well, how do you value the case? How do you know that this case in this case, what they're worth? Okay. I'll tell you some of it is from experience, right? Some of it is from trying cases. Some of it is from jury verdict research. All right. But let's look at, let's look at the start. Let's look at the kind of textbook, if you will, the black and white of how we get there, right? What is a case made up of? Well, a case is made up of your past medical bills. Okay. So you were hurt in a crash. You had to go to the doctor and what is the value of that? How much did you have to pay? Or how much is that place charging you? How much did that hospital charge you that you owe them? How much did that chiropractor charge not that you now owe them? Okay. The, the MRI facility, the specialist, that surgery you had, all right, as a result of the crash, all of it has to result to the crash. You can't have gotten in a crash, but you know, needed a knee surgery from tearing an ACL playing basketball, right? And, and had an MRI that showed that before the crash and go, yeah, okay, crash happened. I'm going to make you pay. Yeah. It just, it doesn't work like that. Right. So those are past medical bills. Then we look at future medical bills and future medical bills can get kind of complicated, right? So we look at what is reasonably calculated to happen in the future, right? So it can't be speculative. You can't say, well, because you tore your ACL in the crash in your knee, right? And maybe sometime in the future, because of that repair, because you're young, you might eventually when you're 80 need a knee replacement, okay? That doesn't fly. Now, if you can go, well, I'm 80 when the crash happened. I didn't need a knee replacement, but I will need a knee replacement, you know, in the very near future, as in like the next one to two years. 
you can run that as a future medical bill because it's not as speculative as the 20 year old who, because of the crash, because of the T-bone crash that forces, puts that pressure on that knee, pushing it in, tearing that ACL. Okay. That 60 years later, they're going to need a knee replacement. Too much can happen in between. All right. So it can't be too speculative. Right. But it's, so you get a small window, right? Or, Or you can go and say, well, because of the crash, you're going to need preventative care for now in the next five years, the next 10 years, okay? That's less speculative. It's something you should have done because the doctors are saying it should be done. Uh, when we have clients who are 65 and older, it's really simple. Uh, Medicare will provide us with that information. If things are substantial enough, we'll get Medicare to go, hey, Medicare, what are you going to require us to set aside as a result of this crash, right? So, and it's a beautiful thing because they go, this is what's needed. And hey, guess what? Medicare's Medicare's regulated, right? So it's a really great thing for us. Uh, so when we have somebody that is Medicare eligible, that's a, a tool that we can use to help determine what the future looks like. So we have past medical bills, future medical bills. Then we have pain and suffering. Now, pain and suffering, that is the most subjective of all of them. Because how do you put a price tag on that? And I can tell you, I could take to a jury right? I could take five different juries, right? Give them the same set of facts, same client, right? Same everything, right? And it would be interesting to do this. It'd actually be really cool to do this would be to maybe uh, videotape something and show it to five different jury pools. Um, it'd be, be a thought for the future, right? And you'll see five different responses for how much pain and suffering is worth. Okay. So there is no clear cut answer to that. And some of that depends on where you are, right? I had a case that was in a rural County in, in uh, Florida and we actually had to change venue. There was a, there was a reasoning behind that. And uh, I don't think I can get into it without really divulging um, client confidentialities, but I can tell you that we ended up having to change venues and our hope was that we could get it into a Hillsborough County or a Miami Dade County or Broward County or Palm beach County, even Pinellas County, right? Why? Because those counties are more urban, if you will. Um, I'm trying to think of, they're not rural is, is what I'm trying to say that the, the value of a dollar, that the cost of living, this is where I'm trying to go to. I apologize. The cost of living is higher in those counties, right? And so you see people that will put a higher dollar value on pain and suffering because of that, right? So you go to a rural county though, and the concern is that, hey, the value's not going to be the same for pain and suffering because the cost of living is a lot less, right? And living in Tampa and knowing what goes on in Miami, I can tell you the cost of living in Miami is a whole heck of a lot more than it is in Tampa, right? So that, that is a very, a really very real thing, right? So you're going to get a pool of people who probably make more money because the cost of living is higher. So you have to make more money to survive, right? So your jury pool is going to be used to higher dollar amounts, right? So that's, that's the thought process behind that. And, uh, that can play into it, right? And when you have a big enough case, that can be a concern. So the next thing that we look at, it's a two-part piece, is lost wages. And lost wages deals with the past, okay? So how much time did you lose from work as a result of the crash? And then the offshoot of that is future loss of earning capacity. Now, just like pain and suffering, future loss of earning capacity is very fluid, right? It's There's not a hard, fast number that you can give unless 
you can go and you can really prove that person can no longer work at all in any capacity whatsoever. And even then it's difficult, okay? Because when you're dealing with lost wages, you can go, I made $50,000 or I made $20 an hour, okay? I missed 40 hours of work as a result. And my doctor can back it up with the doctor records. You can take $20 an hour times 40 hours and you can come up with a number. Very concrete, very black and white, okay? So that's how that all looks. Those are the, the basics and the bedrocks for how we put case values together. Now, the number one most important piece of all of those, right? Because you look at there's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle, right? And it, when you're looking at a jury form, right? So when you go to a jury trial, those pieces are broken out, right? Literally, it will say, it, there, there's a, a bunch of things that go into the jury form, right? It'll say, uh, who was at fault, right? And, and I'm paraphrasing. And then you have to, then it'll say, what percentage of fault did the defendant have? What percentage of fault did the plaintiff have, right? And it's 100 and zero, 99 and one, right? Or anything in between that, zero and 100. Pick a number and it can be anything in between, right? And, and that comes into uh, the analysis later on. But then there's line items, just like the line items I just described. And you actually put a number. The jury actually puts a number there, and then it gets totaled up, and that is the total value of that particular case. Now, the only time you see that is when you're in a jury trial. So any case that resolves any time before a jury trial, you're never going to see that breakdown. So uh, just uh, that's, to me, a little bit of an interesting thing. Now, what's going to happen is... The, the jury will give their verdict, they'll hand, they'll hand it off to the judge, and the judge will produce a final judgment. And that final judgment, there's some calculations that go on. So uh, if there's PIP coverage, they'll subtract the PIP coverage. If there's any other what's called set-offs, things that get subtracted, right? Um, so health insurance, um, Medicare, Medicaid, things that lower the bills, okay? Lower those past medical bills, get subtracted off. And then they take the percentage. So say it was a jury verdict of $20,000 and the judge took all the set-offs and it's now $10,000, okay? And then the percentage of fault was 50-50. Well, that, that judgment that started at 20 went to 10 is now going to be $5,000. So you can go final judgment for the plaintiff, $5,000, okay? Uh, I've been there. I've had it happen. Uh, so you've technically won the case. Yeah, we won. And then you get to the set offs and um, proposals for settlement and things like that. And you go, yeah, uh, we technically have a win over here. However, uh, there's no money. Okay. <laughs> so verdict for the plaintiff. Cool. Great. Uh, take it, frame it, put it on your wall. That's about all that thing is worth. All right. Um, and, and you'll hear, I use that, that phrase from time to time. Um, when we're talking about some various things, when we're analyzing whether or not to go to trial sometimes. Okay. So, uh, that is, that is one of the, the fine nuances. So we get back to how do we determine what a case is worth, right? So those are the factors that make it all up. And, you know, we take those things and the absolute foundation of case value are those past medical bills, right? Because, the bills are what they are. They are black and white. You can't change them. Okay. Yeah. If you really want to get in the nitty gritty, will the defense sometimes 
deposed to a deposition of a billing manager and try to show that those bills are inflated. Yeah, they do that sometimes. I actually have one coming up in about a week and a half. Okay. And it happens. Okay. But for all intents and purposes, ignoring the exceptions for the moment, medical bills are black and white. You can't change them. They are what they are right? Future medical bills, those are extremely speculative. So, you know, they could change and we just have to be aware of that, right? We, we could have a jury that goes, yeah, I'm not really buying that. Or, or I believe that, you know, they're going to need physical therapy, but I, I'm not buying into the fact that they're going to need an, need an MRI every year. Okay. So those things can start cutting down. And, and so those are what we look at. So I use the past medical bills as the foundation, right? That is where I start my analysis and my basis, right? The next piece, lost wages. That's really, you know, it's almost as black and white as the, the past medical bills. Not always. Okay. Um, some people work under the table. Some people make cash. Some people don't report all their income. They should. Okay. You're actually required to by law right? So one of those things you should probably do, uh, if you look at just to go back in history, Al Capone, they didn't take him down because of mob activity. They took him down because of tax evasion. So keep that in mind, right? Not reporting your income is tax evasion. And, uh, you want to stay away from that. And also it's much harder to prove your income, uh, when it comes to a personal injury case. So just small tidbit there. Uh, and then, you know, we try to make an educated guess when it comes to pain and suffering, right? And this is where jury verdicts come into play, right? Jury verdicts are very, really, are really very important because it gives us the basis to know what's our risk. What are juries doing in this particular set of facts? It, are we pie in the sky numbers that are never going to happen because no jury that we can find in Florida has ever given that amount? Maybe that's important to know. It's also important to know on the flip side of how many times has a jury taken facts that are similar and given a $0 verdict? It happens, right? It absolutely does. I talk to clients about that all the time. Hey, look, here's your risk. This whole game is a risk and reward scenario, okay? If your risk is getting $0 versus getting $50,000, okay, and the case is actually worth $60,000, what do you think the right answer is, okay? Are you better off having zero? And with a chance to get to 60, were you better off taking 50? That's the analysis that I do with my clients all the time is here's what your risks are. Here's what I'm seeing, right? Here's what experience tells me. Okay. Here's what we can prove because it's on us to prove it. If we don't prove it, that's it. The defense isn't going to prove it for us. We have to prove, we have to prove that the defendant is liable for the crash at the meaning the defendant caused the crash. And we have to prove that these injuries came from this particular crash and not some other facet of life, right? Not because you were doing deadlifts at 500 pounds and you herniated a disc in your low back. Not because you slipped in the grocery store and fell, right? And had a claim on that and it's in your low back or those five other car crashes you had prior to this one. All of those factors come into play right? All of those things are really, really, really very important pieces to the puzzle. Okay. So that is what we look at. And, you know, the reality is at the end of the day, what is your case worth? Right. I can give you an educated guess, right? Especially once we're at what's called the demand phase, which means we're sending a letter to the insurance company saying, here's what happened. Here are the injuries. Here are the medical bills. Here's, here's how much you should pay. 
Okay. I can give you a, a ballpark, right? And that's all it is a ballpark of what the case is worth. All right. But what is your case worth? It's really very simple, really very simple. It's a, it's an equation and it's something that when I started my career, uh, at, at, with Vince Pulowski, I, I started uh, at his firm and was an associate attorney there. And, you know, he taught me a lot of what's used today and, and the, the rest of what's used today are things that I kind of learned along the way because experience is a great teacher. It really is. Um, being in trials is, a, is another really great teacher, but he told me this and I still use it to this day because it holds true. The value of a case is what the insurance company is willing to pay and what the client is willing to accept. Okay. So because the insurance company is the one for all intents and purposes that holds the money. Okay. So as you're out there wondering, Hey, what's my case worth? Keep that in mind. Keep those words in mind. What is the insurance company willing to pay? And what is the client willing to accept? That's it. That is it in a nutshell. Okay. Because I can give you all the advice in the world, but at the end of the day, it is your case. It is your decision. I am just here to go here are the cards. I'm going to put them all out on the table for you. Okay. And at the end of the day, if you say, nope, settle it. Hey, great. That's what we do. If you say, no, nope, I don't want to take it. I want to go to trial. That's what we do because the decision is hundred percent yours. And if you're with an attorney who doesn't tell you that decision is hundred percent yours, run, run far, far away. I don't care if you call me or if you call somebody else, but run far, far away from that attorney because that decision is up to you because the true value of the case, and I'll say it one more time because it's important, is how much the insurance company is willing to pay and how much the client is willing to accept. Okay. That is how we determine case values. I hope you found that kind of informative and fun. Um, maybe different kind of fun, right? I guess I'm maybe a little bit of a law nerd, if you will. I find this stuff fun. I deal with it every day. Um, I do thoroughly enjoy talking to clients about that on a day-to-day basis. As always, check us out on all of our social media, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That all really does help us out a lot. Okay. And as you're going through your week, and if you're by West Shore and Gandy, and I know this is not actually an ad for the show, but he's a good friend of mine, stopped by the office here last week. Check out Dignitary Cafe. We're doing some things with the Dignitary Cafe and with uh, Ian Beckles. So you may catch me over there from time to time. Hope to see you all there. And uh, that is the show for today from Lawfather Headquarters. Lawfather out. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.